off the ball. Andy Farrell was almost giddy. Yeah. At yeah. the late with He wants everything thrown yeah. at them as he much was, as possible. He was like, this is per- I couldn't have planned this yes. better. Because this could happen. Maybe he did. Up. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Right, Jerry, welcome back for uh, hour three of Friday Nights Off the Ball. Jerry Roy here, Will is here. Hello. And Mick is here. I'm still here, yeah. If you want to get in touch, 53106, text number, or of course, you can always get us uh, at Off the Ball on Twitter. Now, Ireland will go into the 2023 season as the world's top ranked rugby team following a clean sweep in the Autumn Series. Last weekend's 13 10 win against Australia was achieved without the injured Johnny Sexton, Jack Crowley starting, and Ross Byrne kicking the match-winning penalty after coming off the bench. Former Leinster and Connacht out-half Andy Dunn had a slightly unexpected cultural reference to explain how Ireland coped in Sexton's absence. Remember the film Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox? <laughs> I've never seen it. I'm aged, I'm, it's around my age and he was basically a basketball player who turned into a werewolf and he'd inherited this weird thing from his father but the whole thing became they couldn't play without Teen Wolf because he was the wolf, he ran the team, he was the alpha male or the wolf in the team. Yeah. Bit ridiculous as an analogy, but ultimately the team had to learn to cope without him. And uh, it's a very similar, uh, albeit weird, analogy to say we have to cope mm-hmm. without Johnny. And I think we're doing our absolute best in the circumstances. He is a generational player. New Zealand were not the same without Carter. No. England were not the same without Wilkinson. Yeah. Everyone didn't, you know, completely obsess about who who we got to replace him while he's there. He's still here and while he's not there, we've now got a team that plays in in a way that dilutes responsibility anyway across the team. You've got front rowers like Furlong uh, coming in and being first receiver more than ever before. You've got this unique kind of setup in attack, the structure where we can hit runners, we can go out the back door. You've got multiple options in midfield. You've got the likes of McCluskey coming in, playing three games and adding huge value where we've already got value. And I just think it's as good as it could possibly be without him at the moment. And then you've you're, you've also got players who are all good enough. Like we, people need to cool the Jets and say Ross Byrne is good enough to play international rugby Joey Carberry is good good enough enough. to play Kieran Frawley is good enough and now we've got Jack Crowley like how many do we want Mm. we don't if Johnny's not there fine we just got to get on with it a bit I think and the team needs a bit of support in that sense as well there's a kind of a bit of hyperbole obviously you know oh god when he when he pulls out everyone gets frantic we went out and won that was a that was panic stations, no doubt. There's a part of Andy Farrell that probably would have welcomed it. I well, think there's a, a, a test of our team. I think he loves there is. He, he loves he, late exactly disruptions. what this this coaching team are good at. Yeah, yeah. And bringing in someone like Crowley. Um, Whereas Joe wouldn't have liked that because it would have Joe, been no, uncontrollable. He, exactly, he would have gone bananas, and, and the I team would have felt that fear. Yeah. And yes, there would have been you know, anxiety because I don't know. You might not have seen the pre-match interview with Farrell. You were watching on TV. I know. Yeah. I would have said Andy Farrell was almost giddy. Yeah. At yeah. the late, with he wants of everything yeah. thrown yeah. at them as he much was, as possible. He was like, the this is per- I couldn't have planned this yes. better. This could happen. Maybe he did up. plan it. I'm still. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I, I actually, you know, the conspiracy theorist, yeah. the middle-aged conspiracy theorist, sitting at home with a glass of wine. I went, come off it. But then I realised the one thing I saw was um, Crowley was wearing Sexton's jersey. You could see in the bottom the names now and Ross Byrne who took the kick there's a brilliant photo on the Leinster rugby website and he's wearing Jack Crowley's uh, jersey so my conspiracy theory went out the window sitting right. at home with my glass of wine okay. but I mean um, you're so right The Farrell kind of got off on that yeah. and 
that's a brilliant trait because stuff goes wrong and yep. stuff goes wrong badly at World Cups. Yeah. Yep. You want someone who gets off on that and says, right, and the rest of the team rise up to it. It's like, can you step up? And that's a brilliant psychological um, approach for the for this current group of Irish players where you're not, it's not fear and avoidance. It's like embrace it. Ultimately, just one last thing. Ultimately, what? Ireland won. Like I said at the very beginning of this. Well, sorry. See, the, if you, Ireland hadn't won, yeah. then we would be going to town on the Johnny Saxon dependency Here's, theory. Totally. Here's the point. The negative view, but I think it's valid. If South Africa have an out half, they win that game. I think Razzie, on the flight home, if he's not on Twitter, <laughs> is secretly chatting with the coaching staff and saying Ireland that's fine we've got that boxed off not worried about that out half we'll win that game neutral venue no worries at all and we're telling ourselves we've handled a big team and I think we're a little too cocksure of that all of a sudden and then secondly if Australia had a modicum of discipline a modicum of discipline they would have won that game and if Will Skelton and I know ifs buts maybes injuries Will Skelton uh, had started that game but fit enough to play it might have been a very different story as well so I think there is a real degree of us reading too much into the results and not looking enough at these performances and then we would be having the Sexton debate and I still think the Sexton debate is more alive than ever because how did Joey Carberry do? Well to quote Gordon Darcy last week he did fine but fine's not really good enough and Jack Crowley for his second cap did very well but if we're going to fast track this guy you know, there's there's five six international games left, so I, I think fine is good enough. Fine is fine is good enough as long as the the apex or the fulcrum of your team isn't built around the ten. And this team, ha- they've diluted that role away from Sexton mm-hmm. because they have loads of players and options, and they want to be versatile. And they've they've done this. They have an imprint to doing this now for about a year and a half, and it makes us more sustainable, far more difficult to beat and, and more adaptable in these little crisis moments with an injury or selection. So I, you're dead right. Like, we could have lost to South Africa. And Australia. If and had, Australia. If they, Australia, either of them had a better out half. You're, yeah, and, and Australia obviously have discipline issues. Yeah. But I would still look at the overall performance and say there is, there's so much capacity to improve in that group compared to 2018 where they're at peak levels playing a repetitive and predictable game and they peaked in 2018 and that's that's a very different scenario so you know what I mean totally fair point and a really good nuance point but we should underline this November then by saying Ireland are really going to have to improve in lots of ways yeah I would would have thought so so is everyone else like you know it's we're we're world number one I I certainly don't think the group are getting the type they're just not the type and we're, we're too hurt from history. Yeah. No one's getting carried away. Not one person in that group is walking around. And, and it's and great that Andy Farrell was part of that coaching ticket and has a different coaching Absolutely. philosophy and that Johnny and so many of the leading players were part yeah. so they know what went wrong in 2018 yeah. stroke yeah. 19. They're more adaptable. Look, it is what it is. This team has a better chance of going far in the World Cup with Johnny Sexton at, at 10. But hey, we knew that anyway. But the, sure. the England team that won in 03 and I did a close link to that from my playing years over in England and the stories I heard from Greenwood and Jason Leonard and they weren't peak level until that World Cup happened but what they were doing was winning tests ugly winning tests pretty just winning games and they were fine ways they went down to New Zealand and won much like Ireland have done they won their autumn tests they just found ways to do it using different personnel and different styles and it seems to be a big parallel there in this current group not, also, not peaking but 
they were winning matches for about two years with no Mike Cat. But then actually yeah. Johnny Wilkins was a little off colour in the World yeah, Cup. Yeah. They brought Mike Cat, which was Clive Woodward's one surprise selection. Yeah. And he played a vital goal in taking some of the heat and pressure off Johnny Wilkinson yeah, yeah. in the semi-final, in the yeah. quarter-final off the bench, in the semi-final, yeah. and an extra time in the final. So, I, and I think Ireland have those kind of options. And I think, yeah. I take your point, Joe, entirely. I've come away from both those games thinking, yep, Ireland got away with one there. I mean, I actually wrote the, the men in goal will be kicking themselves all week because mm. that was a golden chance. Mm. Really was a goal. They must be tearing their hair out. Yeah. They could be four from four now in this tour. They don't strike me as an intelligent team. Mm. They really don't. I mean, like, um, that might sound derogatory, but if you keep giving 16, 18 penalties away in an international, this is going on about six months. It's very, very bad. You're like, sorry, well. that is just... Four neck rolls in the first half. That's well, got to be a record. The, the neck roll thing was off the charts. I don't know. Um, it just doesn't strike me as an intelligent group of people. Like, they're not learning from it or changing it. I don't know how that's happening at international level, but they're, they're repeat offenders, which is unforgivable. Can I just send a little uh, note of caution here? We were incredibly lucky to win that game. Like, incredibly lucky. The yes. the Australians scored two uh, tries that, you know, under different circumstances, one of them... The, the neck roll on Van der Fleer was nothing to do with Nick White's try. It was rightly a penalty, but it didn't. St- it, we still conceded the try. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, Matt Hansen had a kick blocked down. Uh, okay, advantage wasn't over. But, like, advantage is over after no time when it's just for a knock-on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we got called back for that one. And like, I don't know, maybe Australia are really good and maybe uh, the top eight teams in the world is nothing between them anymore. But I wouldn't be getting a whole heap of confidence after the November internationals that we're the best team in the world. No, yeah, no, not, not the, the, the best team in the world stuff, I think is, I think the, the uh, people have been going on about it. Matt, Matt, Matt Williams said it to you. I think a few, Jerry maybe said it on Monday Night Rugby, is the top 10 teams are closer than they've ever been which is great, and we just happened to be the one who happened to be number one ranked because we had a series win in New Zealand. Yeah, uh, I don't think we're the best team in the world. I do. I am. I do admire the way Ireland can are seemingly always coming out on the right side of these results, and have been. The South Africa performance is really good. I thought, and never, I never felt like we were going to lose that game. Um, now I was watching on a tiny TV or tiny phone the uh, Australia game, but when they kicked to the corner with the game on the line, I'm like. Okay, we could easily lose this here, and yeah. maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing if, like, no, but the change room afterwards is a bit of oh, this is what it feels like, as opposed to yeah, we we got away with that. You yeah, know? but winning, like, we're still beating Australia without Johnny Sexton, and we should, like, you know, I know Johnny Sexton isn't going to be there forever, but hopefully he is for the next year. We have to just take some solace from that. I think there's Wins even a habit, lads. Even it is so's losing. I, I do actually buy into that a little bit, though, you know, and. The other thing I would say is, and and we talked a little bit about this during the week. I think um, I think Stephen had an article up on uh, up on the OTB Sports website as well about it. The idea that Australia lost that game because of how ill disciplined they were is fair, but it also there are stats suggest that Ireland seemed to make teams ill disciplined. You know, so where where we put them under pressure. You know, yeah, the captain was talking to the ref. It sounded ludicrous what he was saying. He goes, "We're trying to play footy here, and uh, they're lying on the ball, and that's where the neck rolls are coming from." It was this funny moment where he blamed them neck rolling players on Ireland. But actually, the the advantage, the examples he was giving Ireland were completely legal. They're just very good at that, and it creates uh, creates teams um, being in discipline and giving away penalties. So well, you know, there is some credit for Ireland. I think you know. Yeah, Driscoll made that point really well during the week, which is that Ireland are very good at getting into good 
good body position. So Simon Easterby has to take a bit of credit for this and the Irish pack, and I'm sure Paul O'Connell has probably had part of the input into it too, that Ireland are very good, particularly around the breakdown, of being in positions which makes it very difficult for the opposition. And it's not just the Australia game. So yes, Australia have had a history of giving away penalties and neck rolls have been an issue with them giving away in a multitude of games. But Ireland have got a record, particularly through the Six Nations last year, where the teams who played against Ireland were very heavily penalised, which would indicate a trend, which is that Ireland are going into rook situations very cleverly and getting into good positions, yeah. which is earning the penalties. Yeah, look, the other thing is, though, that if if, uh, if a referee randomly decides to make a lot of mistakes... Um, <laughs> Deci- you sound like Eddie Moroni there. <laughs> He's decided to balloon it out over the sideline. Um well, because the Ireland-Japan game in the last World Cup, it subsequently emerged that a gallon of mistakes had been made and uh, the referee ended up being stood down for a, a short period right. of time. And you're like, okay, well, it can have a massive impact on the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it can, of course. Yeah, you don't want to be relying on your on, on something so, I don't know, hard to define or hard to uh, interpret, you know. Uh, that is the problem with rugby, though, right? Subtle skill of the game, yeah. That is the problem. That Like, the fundamental problem is the game is so difficult to referee and so difficult to referee consistently that it isn't referee consistently. And, um, you know, if we get a referee who likes our body position in a World Cup quarterfinal, happy days. Yeah. You can win a whole World Cup if you're you're like, oh, we've decided now that this is going to be the thing we penalise and we're on the right side. But you can get knocked out at the group stages if all of a sudden everything you've been doing perfectly for four years. So, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's definitely, we're stuck in this ether where we don't know what the team is going to yeah. be. I do think Ireland, sorry, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's an interesting point about you know referee interpretation and Ireland seemingly being on the good side of it most of this year. I do feel that we do have an advantage in terms of our understanding of rules and our coaching maybe about refereeing. Did you see like the penalty that uh, Australia gave away in the mall at the end of the game? The, light, the touch judge was asleep and Craig Casey was like, look, 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 look. Uh, he was on the side and in from the side. Yeah. Lino's flag goes up, penalty, um, and that's it. You know, like that was uh, that was a huge, huge moment, and I don't think they were spotting it until Casey reacted to it. Ireland, they're just good at that. Yeah, uh, Conor Murray was like one of the <laughs> yeah, biggest. he was learning from the best. <laughs> exactly, he's got the biggest rugby brand you're ever going to see. So, uh, so you you two are saying we're going to win the World Cup? And I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, the, at a canter, I'm, I'm I think. Slowly, yeah. How beautifully quoted, sir. I'm letting the air out of that balloon. We can, we can improve as well. I don't think, and I I feel like the, I feel like we're almost in a position with the opposite of what where we've been in the past, where we're we're working to talk down the achievements of Ireland in the last year, and that's fine. I have no problem with it. But I don't think anybody is suggesting Ireland are at their tippy-top best at the moment. And surely that's a good thing 11 months out. Munster picked a pretty strong team for the game against Connacht tomorrow. It's a um, big opportunity for Joey Carby just to be like, no, I'm the big dog. You're a, Excuse you're me. A, you're yeah. on the subs bench. I'm starting this game. So um, plenty in it for him. Yeah. What a change in situation to go from... Munster really not knowing where they were going in the 10 position when Carby got injured against Edinburgh in the Champions Cup a few years back to now be in a position where Ben Healy and Crowley are both very much contending to be the starter there and where Joey Carberry could potentially end up playing elsewhere in the team. But you would think that the Irish coaching team would want Carberry at 10 for as long as possible despite the fact that Crowley has emerged. Our lack of professional teams comes into play when we have a situation Let's like this. Let's just buy London it? Irish and get, get, get this done. What? Like, <laughs> we've been talking about this for about a decade. It'll be cheap. It'll be going for dollars or cents in the dollar now with that league in, in chaos. Let's just step in, buy it and stick all our tens over there. If Crowley is going to be the guy, we've been talking about this with Frawley. If, if Crowley is someone that we need, it's like, 
he when is he going to get like we're talking a big games Munster could have four big games realistically four or five big big games between now and the end of the season mm. when well, is he going to get them well, he's Ireland there he's not going to get in with Ireland because I do, I do think that like if you were to anoint him and say Joey Carby's on the bench all of a sudden then he's like not had to compete for that place he hasn't had to kill the king no I agree do you know yeah I don't think he should automatically be starting for Munster at all what I mean though is it's just that when are these guys getting rugby at the next level below test match which is probably Heineken Cup right it's difficult because we've only got four teams yeah. and that's just the way it is and that, that's all we can do maybe London Irish maybe that's the, maybe there's a fifth uh, team potential but that's all. We, so we'll always have this issue. You mentioned Munster going with a strong team. Obviously, the Champions Cup is somewhat of mine trying to get ready for that at the moment. That's why all of the inter-process before it. They have to go strong because of the start of the season, I think. Oh, yeah. And oh, Munster are in big maybe, trouble. Maybe, that, maybe actually, you know what? Because of, they've put themselves behind the eight ball, all of these games are big games for them now. And maybe that's the type of jeopardy that the players need. This isn't, there aren't going to be any gimmies from now to the end of the season. And so that's actually not a bad environment to see how well they respond to pressure. So, you know, well, well done, Munster, for your crappy start to the season. You've really helped our World Cup effort out there. <laughs> and helped our, the, our interest level in the URC from week to week as well. Yeah. I'd say as well, credit to Ross Byrne for stepping up and nailing the kick with no particular problems at a time when he has been overlooked for everyone else. So. I, was, I was thinking about this during the week, right? So, Ross Byrne comes into the team and everyone's like, oh, you're not Johnny Sexton, right? Mm. And then his brother comes along and they're like, wow, he's amazing. He's so great. Look at his, this guy's sensational. And like Ross Byrne has played in all the big games for Leinster whenever Sexton has not been there and has never once let them down. No. And four years ago when he was 23, he played in a World Cup warm-up. The entire team was a shambles around him and he carried the can for it. Yeah. And then they found a couple of other scapegoats at the World Cup. Who, you know, and then in the, who, in the who definitely co- it definitely wasn't the head coach's fault that this whole thing fell apart last year. It definitely wasn't or, for the last World Cup. It's not his responsibility. They got really unlucky. It's just his timing because like, he played in one of the COVID Six Nation games and it didn't go well as well. And I think that might have even been off the bench. Was I remember he didn't find touch with a penalty and it was like Johnny Sexton. But Johnny like, Sexton had done it earlier in that match and, and, and nobody cared because he was trying to get every inch. And I I think it's always it's such a bloody waste and it was a terrible thing to do at the last minute of the game. But it happens. It shouldn't define a career. And look. How's Billy Neither Burns? should nailing one kick from a sideline that he gets, but I'm just Are you very confusing him with Billy Burns. I am confusing him with Billy Burns. Yeah, I am that, sorry, he sorry. Had that I think he had come yeah. on for Ross Byrne, who hadn't played well in that game, perhaps. I have I, I a wrong. He definitely had a COVID uh, in the COVID Six Nations uh, moment that didn't go well as the summer. Uh, you know, they're almost the two games that define him. I obviously can't even remember the second one. Sorry about that. But I'm just saying that they shouldn't define him, but, and neither should one kick. Um, you know, from like a standard enough kick for a good kicker like him. But I'm also just really happy that he's had that moment for Ireland, and yeah, that's a memorable, positive moment for him, I, rather I, than all this negativity that surrounds his international I, career. I actually slightly disagree with you on the, the one kick. The one kick is like uh, I am incredibly reliable under the most intense pressure. I think it was a big deal, but like I mean, I think it's a very interesting data point in in his evolution, right? And hopefully he goes on and kicks on now over the next six months. Because there's an opportunity in a window there for him to put his hand up and catapult himself yeah. from, from mm. back in the pack. And again, he's 27, which is kind of the age that we expect most of our out-halves to get good. Like, you've had loads of game time, you've had loads of experience. And he's played in much bigger games than any of the other contenders have and he's over listened, the last three or four years. He's listened to all of us decide that each contender is the next yeah. guy to be the yeah. target so line along he, the way. If he has a chip on his shoulder, like he, he just, anyway, look. What I meant was it shouldn't define an international career because he should have the ability to do so much more and he's already probably done more than that with Leinster. 
you know, and it's just then then one moment in the game, which was great. It was great for him to have it, but I think he could. Uh, like, there's no reason to think that he can't kick on from it. You know, uh, you know, a, a very interesting experience as well. I do wonder if there's like a future in coaching um, for somebody like that who's kind of gone through that whole, like, uh, we don't think you're the best, so you're going to have to continue to fight, and we actually think everybody around you is is better. But then you keep beating them off. You keep like there's a Seamus Coleman, Glenn uh, Wheeler. Well, yeah. more more Seamus Coleman, who like uh, Everton keeps signing right backs for like loads of money. Like, this guy's got like a straight. In the that's team, what Stoke did for a decade. Palacios, Glenn Whelan pushed him off. There were yeah, it was constant um, every year. All right, when we come back, 1990 World Cup hero Packy Bonner talks to us about Ireland's goalkeeping options and whether Quevin Kelleher needs a move away from Liverpool. All right, you're very welcome back. Now, a reminder that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball. Each week, we give one lucky listener a €100 voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, check out at Off The Ball on Twitter, like and retweet our Brayburn competition post, and you'll be in the draw. The festive season is officially here, so why not enjoy a shot of gingerbread goodness in your Brayburn Coffee today? Available at Apple Green locations nationwide. Now, Republic of Ireland goalkeeping legend, Packy Bonner, thinks Queen Keller. He's now a board member of the FAI as well, of course. thinks that Cueven Keller should be considering a loan move away from Liverpool to get regular first-team football. He was speaking here with Shane Hannan and um, obviously Keller back up to Alisson. Does Alisson do it in November or did he always have the mole? <laughs> no. I was quite surprised the full beard was gone before the World Cup. Yeah. He did it. He did it. I think it was last November where he just appeared with this incredible, like he looked like a, a, a movie star from the 1970s. A villain. And then uh, cut the hair as well. Then, and then he played in a match like two days later, and it was gone. I was like devastated. It was like it was oh, like so I can't it, believe it's gone for this. It must be a November thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like might be the highest profile. Like also, he started. I was surprised. Why? Ahead of Ederson. Yeah. Oh, Allison is all, yeah, always Brazil, doesn't he? Yeah. No, but not not always. There was, was definitely there was definitely the two of them on a plane coming back, and Ederson had said the penalty, and I was like, oh, that's interesting that he's oh. like. I, I thought my understanding that was Allison was always number one was at least yeah kind of fairly set number one for maybe they were just experimenting around the, yeah. it was like Could old Cup America this is like three years ago um, okay yeah. but yeah, recent times he's been first choice they've experimented a lot I though. think Edison's better do you? yeah right I think Edison's distribution is like the highest end <clears throat> mm. This is um, obviously we were digressing here from Cueven Keller. We'll come back. Okay, why don't we? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good one. You're talking about two fantastic goalkeepers with slightly different profiles who are competing for the one place. Yeah. So uh, here is Packy Bonner talking to Shane Haddon. There was a period probably when I was uh, a young man who's coming after me. Then Shay, Shay and Alan Kelly appeared, uh, and then after Shay, we were wondering who's the next. And it's fantastic to see three young goalkeepers uh, almost vying for 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 the one, number one spot. They're all playing. Uh, at a good level, uh, Mark Travers is back in the, in, in the, in the team, uh, and uh, Gavin is, is a sensational young man to come through and play with the maturity that he does, uh, at, and at the level he does at this moment in time in his career. So now we're very blessed in that position. Do you feel like uh, the arguments been made for Quivin Callagher that you know he's he's getting serious experience with Liverpool with with Allison and training and all the rest, but that maybe a loan move and more game. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to ask that question, <laughs> and to be honest, I, I agree. Uh, like any young man, we're just talking about a young man from Cork, uh, Harrington. Um, uh, earlier on, uh, I think at round about that age, 23, you've got to get game time. You've got to get out. Listen, he's going to be training with the best, one of the best who's going to be in the World Cup, Allison, um, at, a, at a big club with Liverpool. But you cannot beat game time uh, and getting out, uh, getting among uh, 
players, making decisions, because it's all about decision making, building up enough decision making within that brain that when it comes to comes to the big games and when you play, that it becomes an almost an automatic response. Uh, and that can be done in training or it can be done at game time. Unfortunately for Kevin, he's not getting probably enough games, while Gavin has probably built that up through his game time, which is interesting, you know, when you look at it that way. 100%. Um, it, I guess it's been an interesting number of months and even a year for, for Stephen Kenny and, and look he's we've had the two friendlies now and he's blooding young players as well but it's, it's difficult for him because I guess it's a results based business as well and look I know you're on the FAI board but when you're looking ahead and, and you're seeing the, the group that, that faces us in the Euros it, it's not the easiest Netherlands and, and, and France in the same group No and, and you're hoping maybe that, that France and Netherlands come off the World Cup with, a, with maybe demotivated or maybe that they're they take the eye off the off the ball a little bit. Uh Van Gaal will be gone I'm sure after this World Cup. Uh Deschamps will probably be gone also. So that might be a bit of a change. Uh maybe the maybe some players gone also. Uh but listen they're quality two quality international teams they, they will probably maybe be even into the quarterfinals or semi finals, even maybe the final of, of this World Cup. So it's gonna be no easy task. But we have a young group. Um, Stephen is ble- trying to blend them, trying to come up with a formula that we can win games. Uh, we know that they can actually play good football uh, to a point, but uh, maybe short in a few areas still. Uh, but that's an ongoing process, trying to find one or two. Maybe they can complement and get the balance right within the team. Uh, but it's, it's, it's work in progress, and it has to keep going. And hopefully we can get off to the right start in the next qualifier. Must be the most high-profile and, and stressful job in, in, in Ireland. Maybe it's certainly in Irish sport because it's funny, you see split between the fans, and Kenny in and Kenny out. It seems every game or every window it's a referendum over, over his position, which must be difficult for a manager. You know, it's, it's a results-based business, as I said, so it's, it's stressful. Listen, every manager knows when they're in, in a position like that, there's stress, there's pressure. You've got to handle it. Uh, sometimes, you, you know, for Stephen, he lives in the country, so he has it every day, walking up and down the street or wherever he goes. Uh, some managers don't live in the country and they get away from it, um, but that's the nature of the beast. Um, but also, I think every manager knows that Yes, you have to change the squad. It takes a bit of time. You've got to get players in, but you've got to get results at the end of it all. And time, uh, over a period of time, you want to try and qualify. That's, that's your job, and that's what you're doing. But I think while any manager's in the position, uh, you've got to try to give them 100% support and help. Um, and uh, I think the fans have done that very well. Look, we had 40, over 40,000 against Norway. It wasn't the best game in the world. We lacked a little bit of penetration. Stephen knows that. But the fans were there, and they were giving them 100% support and giving a good group of young players every every help to, to mature and get themselves into into finals. And I think that's where, where these players will really mature if they can get create that sort of get over that hurdle of qualification. Uh, and then people will take notice. The big clubs will take notice of, of some of our young players that they actually can perform at that level. But you have to do it. You've got to go out and do it. We had John Aldridge on a, on a road show there in the last week or two, and um, he got very emotional in talking about Jack Charlton and, yeah. and what he meant to, to Irish football. And he, he made the very valid point. You know, in terms of a statue of, of Jack, there's none. And, and, and even you know whether it's around the Viva Stadium, someone joked that it could be in the middle of the Walkenstein roundabout after all the uh, yeah, celebrations yeah, yeah. in Italian ninety. But I mean, do you think there should be some sort of commemoration to Jack at the Viva Stadium? Yeah, I think place? commemorations of, of individuals is a good thing. I, I, you know, I'm very attached to Sally Football Club because I played there for 17 years, and they've got their uh, statues outside of the Jocks Dean of, of uh, <coughs> you know, Jimmy Johnson of those kind of people, uh, Billy McNeil and that. And and it's always nice because fans go up and and, and get their pictures taken, and they're there for 
for forevermore. Um, and it would be nice, not just Jack, but maybe other people uh, that has gone in the past mm-hmm. also, maybe people in the future. But it would be nice to have that around. And I know it was shared with rugby, and there's not maybe uh, that, that same kind of almost reason maybe there's a few rugby people too of course, course that would be up there so but it's nice to have those those places to go to and keep the memory alive that's for sure because jack was special to all of us all mm-hmm. of us guys uh, i know he would have his, have his critics also like everybody in football uh, even when he was so so successful over here there was people criticizing him for the way he played the game and so on and so forth and we could have done better but that's the, the nature of of football we all have an opinion we all love it and that's why why we talk about it and that's why we're talking about it today again also uh, but in the, in, the, in the memory of Jack of, of what he achieved and what he brought to the country and what he what he did for us us group of players to uh, to ignite the country a little bit and, uh, and, and and really start something that was very very special I don't know what the right and wrong answer to these, this is like um, Cuevan Keller got to think about himself got to think about like being still playing football at 43, 44 and uh, if he goes and a loan move doesn't work out now, you know, which is possible, um, then it's the wrong move. But if he goes and the loan move works out, then it's amazing. So, you know, th- it's a risk. This is not risk-free. There's no guarantee he's going to go away, immediately settle in, find a good manager who's like, yeah, I, you know, arm around him or whatever he needs or like provokes him into uh, world-class performances. So, yeah. Cuevan Keller has, has spoke quite well himself on this. I remember the week last year before the Ireland friendlies when we were playing against Qatar. Remember that window? And both Bazunu and no. Keller ended up in front of the I media. Do, I did not remember that window. Go on. They ended up in the same week yeah. having to speak. And both were asked, understandably, because back-to-back days, they're up doing media duties. Bazunu talks quite openly about the fact that going to Rochdale and going to Portsmouth were crucially important. He could have stayed at Man City, learned from Ederson, been around world-class players every day. He wasn't second choice, though. No, he he came in and I think Man City almost actively encouraged his development happening outside the club too. They said, oh, we've signed a really good young goalkeeper, but best place for you to be is actually getting some action out in League One. It's the money carousel, they realised what they had. Sure, yeah. and out he goes. And as it works out, the couple of years that he had on loan worked out very well because he got himself a move back into the Premier League in a roundabout way to Southampton in the year just gone by. And now he's first choice goalkeeper at Southampton and he's incredibly busy every week due to the uh, team that they have currently. Keller's well, difficulty is that he is further ahead. Yeah. He's, he's, he was way ahead of, of Bazunu when he was like uh, getting more game time at Liverpool than we were ever going to see Bazunu get. But Bazunu went, did those hard yards off Broadway and has come back and is now ahead of him. It's a, it's a very weird dichotomy or divergence of, of path rather and um, and I think after the Atletico Madrid win in the Champions League against Liverpool where Adrian had a bit of a nightmare it became even more clear that Keller was the anointed backup to Alisson in second place yeah. then the next season Alisson's out for a little bit and Cuevan Keller gets to play in the Champions League and last year he gets to be a big hero in a cup final at Wembley and I'm sure if you're thinking about it from Keller's perspective he could have been playing in the Championship or League 1 on loan last season or he could be playing at Wembley saving penalties in the penalty shootout to win Liverpool a trophy the only worry would be that as he goes into his 20s now, is there a risk that he might stagnate by being a really good number two when it's clear that Alisson is one of the best goalkeepers in the world? Yeah, but he's learning from Alisson every week and he's got probably better coaching than he would have at the championship level. And You know, maybe he does another two or three years and he's 25, 26 and he signs for a Premier League team. Mm. Permanent. You know what I mean? Like, it was, like I was, we were talking about, like, Nick Pope went to Newcastle before he did. We were talking, like, would Newcastle sign Kelleher? He was being talked of on that kind of uh, level, you know? So I don't know if he needs to be dropping down. Or, well, like, so the Nick Pope signing, as far as I know, is based on, like, deep dive into the stats, right? 
Nick Pope racks up stats and so they can tell how well he deals with various situations. Because he plays enough to have the stats. So no one's going to assign Keller to be first choice in a Premier League team from the reserve squad of Liverpool because they haven't seen enough, you know? Like, the sample size of yeah. full-time is, is too little. And obviously, there there is a possibility that Liverpool do really well in the Champions League. Alisson gets injured and you step in and you're like, like that's a chance of a lifetime. Dean Henderson, right? There's a, a relatively good comparison, I think, who... Um, again, you never felt like he was going to get the opportunity at United until after he came back on loan, when clearly he looked like he'd been told he was. But he went to Stockport, to Grimsby, to Shrewsbury, then to Sheffield United, and then to Sheffield United again before they brought him back that season. They were like, oh, we'll give you a chance. Mm. <laughs> no, we're not going to give you a chance. Don't be stupid. And uh, now he's at Forest and he's doing really well. I think it's fair to say that people are in two minds about he's, he's, they don't really he's like He's a him. gas character. So Which kind of might sometimes blind us to the fact that he's probably a good goalkeeper. Yeah. I can understand Henderson's frustration to a certain extent in a, a similar type situation, but De Gea's form came back at a time after Henderson came to the club. How much of that was down to Henderson pushing him for the number one spot? I don't know, but De Gea came back. But to it's a separate form. point, I suppose, that George making about like his development, that he had all those years of first-team football. Being third choice might actually be better at a super club than being second choice, because at second choice, they're like, we're going to give you just enough money to make you think, actually, you know what, I could and stay just here enough game just time. enough time. I can, I, can, I can stay here for 20 years and like, yeah. that's a, this is one of the best jobs in world football. Robbie Fowler has a story about, uh, was it Tony Warner, was that the name of the sub-goalkeeper? Liverpool. Uh, Warner, anyway, and they called him Bonus because he picked <laughs> up, because he, he was telling us at the show we were doing with them in, uh, a few weeks ago with him and John Aldridge, he said that, he, that Warner was called Bonus because he used to uh, never play and just pick up the uh, appearance bonus. bonus. So they were playing in the League Cup final against Bolton and if they won that, they were going to get a, uh, a, a a bigger bonus for that. Uh, and he would, he'd already spent it and bought a car apparently and then they signed uh, another goalkeeper <laughs> three days before. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> How true that story is, I don't know, but the, the fact of the story that remains true is that his nickname was Bonus. Very good. Uh, what age is uh, what age is Dean Henderson? Twenty-seven. What age is Quevin Kelleher? Am I right about Henderson? There? No, just give me uh, twenty-four. Twenty-four, I think. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he was twenty-four, I think, on Wednesday. So he just turned twenty-four. Yeah. Uh, Dean Henderson is twenty-five. Oh, okay. Ah, I thought he was a bit older. There you go. I, I think this goalkeepers last longer. It's just interesting, though, that like actually getting out on loan when you're at the super club, and then being your parent club, can be very beneficial to you. It's just that it's gone to a point now where I, I like. Is it a bit late for a loan move now? Probably is, yeah. isn't it? Keller would also probably rely on Liverpool having to sign another goalkeeper for him to be allowed to leave on loan, as Klopp has been pretty straight up on this for the last few seasons that he sees Kelleher as the number his two. backup for Alice yeah. and there's not a huge amount of trust for it's a, it's a good job. the other keepers Paki's saying he's got to get game time though like even Kelleher's got to think about himself and think about like being 40 and mm. yeah I, I, you know, I got paid really really well for a long period of time and I took no risks and I didn't have to take any risks and uh, to so. Kelleher's credit as well, Jar, he seems to play very well even when he comes in from the cold. Whether it's coming in for a League Cup game that's not in, say, a run of games or when he plays for the Republic of Ireland yeah. while not playing for his club, it doesn't seem to affect his form. Yeah. And it's just himself and Bazunu, a bit like we're talking about Ederson Allison earlier, have got two totally different profiles as well. I think Kelleher is better with his feet and with his distribution, but Bazunu has done so little wrong when he's played for the Republic of Ireland in the chance he's got over the last 18 months. Uh, Hard to dislodge him. Former Arsenal goalkeeper Emma Byrne thinks that uh, their loss to Manchester United could be a turning point in the women's Super League season. It's moved Man United level on points with Arsenal and the Koi Gig team discussed how important it could be in the title race on this week's pod. 
you know, the fact that they came back after Arsenal went ahead, I think it just, that's going to be the turning point of their season. That's going to be the point where they should make Champions League football, which is the ultimate goal for for United. Um, And, you know, they were the only team to beat Arsenal at home last year as well. So they definitely have a psychological edge over them at this stage. I did wonder for several points of that game whether Nikita or Katie were going to come off the pitch with all their limbs intact because it was a ferocious battle between the two of them. Penno? Or what were we saying on the Penno shout? I think it was a penalty personally. It was yeah. a penalty, yeah. I mean, if it wasn't Katie, I would have been 100%. It's yeah. a penalty. <laughs> but because it was Katie, I was trying to like... Well, you know, she didn't like go in intentionally. Was gone, but, you know. <laughs> but it, it was a penalty. It she was made... a full on GA shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that Nikita got the touch that on the ball. ball as well, like I think it was a penalty. And actually, I think Katie was looking not to get a yellow card in the first five minutes. I think she should have been carded, and I think that would have changed the game completely because. On the other hand, Nikita got a yellow card and that changed the game for her. She had to be taken off because she should have been sent off, to be quite honest. She should have got a second yellow. Um, but it just changes their mentality. One, one of them was going to get sent off. <laughs> and because Katie didn't get the yellow when she probably should have earlier on, um, I think it was a massive boost for her. But I think, you know, it's one of those games. There's always a sending off. Like Beth Mead got sent off. In a in a previous game with United, I <laughs> mean, so it does get a little bit fisty cuffs in there, and that's what you want to see, right? You want to see that physical element. You want to see that those cards being given. And at one stage, you know, I was like, I think Caitlin Ford's going to get a yellow soon. <laughs> like it was, it was very good. It was very entertaining to watch. I have to say. That's a snippet of this week's Koi Gig Pod with Kathleen McNamee, Em Byrne, and Karen Duggan. You can get it now on the OTV Football feed wherever you get your podcasts. The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. So the mention of uh, Rachel Daly's hat-trick there now against Brighton. I mean, Bloody I presume yeah. there is in the rest of the pod. Sick of us. It's, it's a, this lack of respect for Aston Villa. <laughs> it's, it's an hour long, so... Euros winning. Euros winning uh, player. Knocking them in every, every week she scores. She's actually unbelievable. It's, it's amazing, actually. A player like that just signing for, like, you know, your club, you're not being paying too much attention and you're just checking the scores or watching the games as they're on and it's like, daily, daily, daily. This is class. Anyway, sorry, I've gone off on a bad one there. Where are Villa in the league? Uh, about fifth, I think. But mm. Considering they haven't done uh, much in the last few years, that's not bad. They just got promoted, right? It's their third year now, yeah. yeah. Celtic home, Jackson Sherlock and why he's joined the Westmeath football management team. Right, very welcome back. Now, Jason Sherlock says he's hoping to improve as a coach in his new role with the Westmeath footballers. The 1995 All-Ireland winner has joined Desi Dolan, set up with Talton Cup winners. Sherlock was heavily linked with the Monaghan job this summer and he joined Tommy, James and Paddy on the football pod this week. It's great to be kind of sounded out and I suppose it started with, with Desi Dolan and myself having a, a, a few chats and um, I think if you look at where Westmeath are in terms of the, the performances over the last few years, They've had a great manager in Jack Cooney, who is now um, employed by GA, and obviously he's looking at pathways. So he's done a lot of work there. 
in terms of the team themselves, they've had a bit of success. And um, obviously you mentioned their, their success last year. They now have Desi managing. He he His right-hand man is going to be John Keane, another exceptional player, a very dedicated and committed guy. So I suppose just getting to know the guys and just listening to where they are and what they want to achieve, it, it was interesting to me. Um, I haven't been involved in, in, in football in any kind of significant way since I finished up with, with the lads in 2019. So I probably was kind of, I was interested and I, I was exploring kind of areas or uh, places that I might or teams that I might get involved in. And this just seemed a, a really good fit for, for, from both sides. Um, in terms of what the role is, good question. Um, <laughs> what's performance? Um, I think, um, and I'll go back thinking about my, my first interaction with Paddy when I got the role with Dublin. <laughs> I, I won't tell the story. This Paddy might the one. Yeah, Jay, oh no. <laughs> go on, Say go again. for it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'll I'll leave Paddy to tell you that one but the the one thing I said to Paddy at at that stage was that I'd like to think I can make you a better footballer and I think as a coach that's all you can do that's all you can strive to try and do and you do that a number of ways I think first you have to be there for your players you have to build that relationship and trust and then secondly you have to try and see where you can add value if that's technically if that's tactically if that's helping the guy with confidence if that's kind of if that's confronting and challenging the player you know that's what you want to do so uh, I suppose that's what I'm looking forward to doing getting to know the the, the Westmead players and obviously trying to help Desi and his, his backroom team as they progress over the next year. That's very interesting. Too, we, we had Ray Cannellans, one of the higher profile players in the West Mead team, but he came on a couple of weeks ago and we couldn't get over the infectiousness <laughs> of him. There's a real buzz and an atmosphere and I'm sure you, you might have seen that the Talton Cup celebrations, we were at the game and you could see the reaction on the pitch of the players, the supporters the celebrations they had back in Westmead. You've just missed out on a trip to Mexico. You should have signed on a couple of weeks ago. You could have got down to Cancun with him as well. But, but uh, uh, he was... The buzz, you, you could you could just get the sense that it's an exciting time for Westmead. They, Jack Cooney obviously did an incredible job with them. And you get the idea that Desi Dolan, I'd say arguably their best ever player, is going in as their coach. So if you're a young player in that team, or, or not even a young player, for any player in that team, you're mad to impress... John Keane as well, a brilliant defender for Westmead. And someone like you, Jay, are coming in with your profile and experience, obviously, being in our group as well. It does seem like a really exciting time for Westmead. And, and that's the sense we're getting from the players and, and the, the, the conversations are immediate to do as well. So I can see the appeal of that, that role. And the big thing, the surprising thing, they're in Division 3 next year. And you're thinking that they have the quality... They, they're a better team than that, you would feel, from the outside looking in. So th- there's raw materials to work with, but there's also there's like key progress to be made there as well, you feel. Yeah, well, a couple of things, that, that, as you say that, I think they've had success and obviously a massive, yeah. massive thing for the, the county and well celebrated. But I suppose the challenge is, is, is that it? Is that is that the height of their ambitions? Are they happy with that? Or are they willing to, to do what it takes to ensure that there's more success? So ultimately, only players can answer that. And again, I'll be interested to see how committed, how motivated they are for that. When it comes to Division 3, as you guys know, it's a dogfight. You know, and every every county at this stage, whatever division they're in, are all kind of pinpointing the league. We need to have a good league and that. So as much as on paper you would see, like, Westmead could do well, like, 
no matter what the vision it is, there's no guarantees. So again, that's part of the challenge. And when you add that on top of, I suppose, the shortened season and the uh, the additional matches, obviously Westmead have guaranteed those extra ma- ma- matches from their performances last year. I suppose that has to be factored in then in terms of the, the performance and I suppose um, how realistic it is to be ready on match day one in the league versus the last game of the All-Ireland series. But again, it's an exciting time it's a it's a great it's a great place to be and i suppose that's part of the motivation why i want to get involved to kind of uh, experience kind of a team that have these challenges and obviously looking forward to to getting involved you, you mentioned that 2019 with dublin was the last time you were involved in intercounty football you said back in september that you had strongly considered an approach from monaghan to get involved as um the head coach there after replacing Seamus McEnany. Can you fill us in a little bit about why that swang the way it did in that you didn't pursue that approach, perhaps? Um, and in, in the same interview, I think you said you don't have a burning desire to be an intercounty manager. Why? What is your ambition or what do you love about being involved in intercounty football as a coach? Um, well, again, to work with players, work with players and, and try to improve them. That's that's the key. That's the key part of why any coach, I suppose, is involved in sport. And yeah, maybe maybe I was I was blessed. Some 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 would say burdened having to deal with your man here and uh, trying to, to try to squeeze the orange. But um, but no. What'd you say? The dream team, Joe. The, the dream team is right. Um, but no, it, it was great and it was like it was a privilege to work with in my in my eyes, one of the, the best kind of teams and, and panels that have ever to play the sport. But again, it doesn't lose you. Whatever context or whatever level you're you're coaching at doesn't leave you. And I'm just kind of keen to explore that. Um, as I mentioned about Monaghan, again, they they sounded me out. And I like you start with why? Why would you get involved? And there were a lot of reasons why I felt Monaghan might, might have been a good fit for, for myself. And it was a journey I kind of explored and went, went a good bit down that road. But for, for whatever reasons, just things didn't fit and they didn't work out. And, um, you know, I, I, I was really appreciative of Monaghan kind of giving me the opportunity to, to, to consider the role and be considered for the role. And I'm delighted now with having Vinnie Corey, having Dermot and, and a few other guys, Marty involved as well. They're good Monaghan men, uh, something that I was keen to have as well involved. So uh, obviously I'd be hoping that they, they, they do well in the year ahead. So as, as I said, this year is the kind of the first year that I've been open to kind of get involved in a significant way. Um, it, okay. As I said, it is 2019 since I was involved you kind of lose touch you you, you you like even after 2019 we knew if we were going back in 2020 what we did that year wouldn't be good enough you know we would have been ripping up the script anyway so here i am a few years down the road so i'll have to upskill and, and kind of try to get up to speed to where things are so looking forward to that jason sherlock there on this week's episode of the football pod which you can get now on the otb sports app or in the otb ga podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. It's all in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Interesting appointments. I'm kind of surprised that some of the other uh, counties in uh, Leinster weren't snapping JO up. It's like, yeah. to ex- just explain how the high uh, high performance stuff works in Dublin. And uh, mm. I think there's loads. Tell us more, that, yeah. tell us yeah. more. Uh, I know, De- Desi Dolan and Jason Sherlock uh, and the management team together is like a, a kind of a, a Railway Cup team from the early 2000s or something like that. I wonder who else they could get in. 
it's so basically like the, the so West Mead version of what Kildare did. I mean, we obviously set the tone, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's it's great to see, you know. Yeah, and like Joe's uh, uh, point about um, will they rest on their laurels or will they try and kick on? It feels like you know with what the club teams are doing and uh, how closely and hard fought the uh, to be the best team in Mullingar was in the Westmead Championship. Like you know, um, it'd be great to see them make a run. Oh yeah, it's a big management team. The only thing is, Jack Cooney was taking on a number of roles over the last few years as part of his management. So I can see why Desi Dolan is coming in as a first-time manager. Himself and John were the managers of Gary Castle, but um, Desi was still around the periphery of the playing team when they were the management team in Gary Castle too. He was kind of the forwards coach, and I think as Ray Canellan was explaining on the football pod a few weeks ago, it was almost like a psychological coach to the forwards as part of it. So they don't have an assigned forwards coach within the 14, but you would imagine that Desi will probably take on some of that role with Jason Sherlock probably stepping in uh, to help out as a high-performance coach too. You would think that John Kane will look after the defensive side of things, which is what he was doing last season when they won the Talton. And this is a Westmead team, no matter what happens in Division 3 of the league, are getting ready to play in the All-Ireland Championship next yeah, year. Because yeah. that's the free hit that you get as the Talton Cup winner. Yeah, so what, what do you do? Do you not look for a promotion? To, or do you like, absolutely go gung-ho so that then you're guaranteed not to be in the Talton again? Like, What do you do? They're a Division 2 standard panel. I think they need to be going for promotion up to Division 2. Yeah. Realistically. League's a thing in itself. It is, except, except now it isn't. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know, I still think, I think that will be one of the things that, look, you're just in a position where you're in a Leinster Championship with Dublin. I'm not saying don't have an aim to beat them and win it, but you're probably looking at Leinster final as your aim. I haven't seen the draw. I don't know exactly whether they're on that side or not. Uh, the draw was made weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I know, weeks exactly. Weeks in the, in the, how, in how the you ether of, uh, of that amazing Saturday afternoon. Of the club. Yeah. And Jared's uh, looking that up. I don't think we need to know. But I'm just saying, and they're not going to win in all yeah. Ireland, but they need, they need growth. And I think one of the things that they will look for as an aim for the season is to win Division 3 hmm. as a realistic aim. So even though it is... Um, it is an end to a mean or means to an end. <laughs> uh, semi-final. Semi-final. A means to an end. Semi-final is six versus seven, Michael. So uh, one is Longford versus Offaly. So it's Longford, Offaly, Westmeath uh, versus Meath or Longford, Offaly. Yeah, yeah. Are Longford on both sides of it. Well, they're, they're, yeah. they're all in that same. Okay, so so, right. so they a Lancer, right. a Lancer right. final will the be cards, what they're yeah. looking for this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. And they're remaking a semi-final draw again this year in Leinster, I think. Or have they dropped that? Can't well, remember, it, it, it says semi-final four versus five and six versus okay. seven. So they've brought back in the full draw this year. Snappy. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt like last year when they removed that draw, half the idea was to not have players thinking too far ahead and thinking we're on Dublin side the draw and therefore it's That's probably a good idea, yeah. So but the, we'll see anyway. The point is the uh, the competition after that, the three games they get, that's going to be, that yeah. should be good. Yeah. There's their second seeds, I think, as well for that. As Talton winners. As Talton winners from last year. Which so. means, does that mean you get two home games or what? Like, I have never, ever been... Tuesday of the month you get a... I've never had less understanding of a championship structure. So I buried my head in the sand with it because it we'll, just... We'll work it out as we go along. I think it's relatively straightforward, isn't it? It's like uh, groups of four. Provincial finalists are guaranteed a place. The Talton Cup champions are guaranteed a place yeah. from, from the previous year. And then and it'll it's be different from the Super 8s because uh, there's well, more of teams. Well, it's different because there's going to be four quarter finalists. Coming out of it. Eight yeah. quarter Basically, That's, you go through those games to get rid of eight teams. Yeah. Okay. It's good that we don't have any extra games in the TV deal. In fact, we've lost 14. <laughs> no, we haven't. They're going to get them. We're going to get them straight Fair online. Fair pay-per-view. Yeah. 
Uh, coming up this weekend on Off the Ball, Cora Staunton and Mike Curran join John tomorrow to look ahead to the women's AFL final. While Graham Gartland and former Republic of Ireland striker David Connolly will be on Football Saturday. Dion Fanning and Sarah Donovan will review the Sunday papers with Joe. There's a feature interview with Park Harrington. And Rafa Honigstein looks ahead to Germany's must win World Cup clash with Spain. Shin Shin, Splunk is next. Cheers, folks.